Hey there, I'm Ben Cooley, and I'm in charge of the project that we call the Woder Bicycle. I am also the treasurer of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. Basically, the Woder Bicycle is an electric bike that is supposed to be the cheapest way to get into having an electric vehicle. We started with an old bike frame that we had laying around and the motor that we are currently planning on using for it was also bought secondhand. It's a 12 volt motor from a fan out of an RV or something like that. The batteries that we plan on using eventually are an arrangement of cells out of a battery pack from a hybrid city bus that we bought. We plan on arranging some of those cells to a near 12 volt configuration and hopefully those will provide some good range but in, until then just to get the bike running and moving might use a rechargeable sealed lead acid battery that's going to be much cheaper and we won't need a whole bunch of cells and we won't need to arrange them so that'll just be simpler and then we can worry about getting that hopefully better battery pack put together. So far, the things that we do have together are the bike itself and the motor. And what we need to acquire is the short-term battery. We need to assemble the cells from our battery pack that we purchased into the long-term battery to figure out charging for that. We also need a throttle control. An on-off switch may suffice just to make sure that the concept works, but that is definitely not ideal, especially because you don't want it going too fast. And if, if the gearing ends up to where the, the wheel is just turning way too fast, then, then it wouldn't be good. You know, it would be uncontrollable. And yeah, obviously we'd like to have more of a range of control for more usability. Right now the project is in early stages and it's going to be kind of a rough mock-up for a little bit, but then once we come together on campus and have all of our parts in a group again, then we can put together the finished product, which will hopefully be a little bit more polished, including a pulse width modulation, electric throttle, and a better battery pack that will be sleeker and lighter and have more amp hours. What's up? Oh, nothing much, you know. I'm just here to promote the film that I was in in 1996 called Race the Sun. Oh, yeah, I just watched that the other night. It's a great film. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, I've been a name in electric vehicles for decades, man. Way longer than Tom Hanks. Huh? Uh, I can't believe you didn't have me on the first episode of this podcast. And you know that show, Extant? E-X-T-A-N-T, that's how you spell it, Extant. I, I drove a BMW i3 in that show. And that's what Chris Ramsey drove to, to Monte Carlo from Edinburgh. And, you know, I really want to say that I like what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs>
This is Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Galen O'Connor. I'm the club president. Today on the podcast, we've got Eric Smith from a company called SemaConnect. That's SemaConnect, not SEMA. SEMA is the auto show in Las Vegas. A couple of announcements before we get into the episode. Today, Wednesday, May 27th, from 3 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, if you're hearing this in time for that, is the Central Washington University Sustainability Awards. They're online this year. Contact Kathleen Klinecki, the Sustainability Coordinator, for more information. Also, tomorrow, May 28th, Thursday, is the National E-Mobility Equity Town Hall. It's going to be on Zoom this year. You know, equity is a hot topic these days. However, equity is often a concept that is misinterpreted. That is misinterpreted. That is misinterpreted and or misunderstood. As the world speeds toward a future where e-mobility is electric, connected, shared, and autonomous, how do we ensure that all members of our community have access and will be engaged and part of this transition? How do we engage frontline communities, those impacted worst and first by air pollution? This is going to be the key topic of the e-mobility equity town hall. So. Make sure you sign up. You can go to our website, centralev.org, and click on events to register. How did SemaConnect get started? What's your mission? What's your purpose? Uh, we started in 2008. And the very simple story about SemaConnect versus any other charging station company. So we produced the SemaConnect 620 and 500 series level two charging stations. It's for commercial properties such as workplace, apartments, multifamily, retail, hotels, government nationwide, North America, for our level two charging stations. I think the, the very short, simple introduction about SemiConnect is, I love to tell p- people is that we are not the newest charging station company on the block. And that's actually to our advantage because we had gotten to learn from other older models of electric vehicle charging station manufacturers, what works, what doesn't work, what might need to be changed, right? And the input from EV owners and property managers has allowed us to say, great, you've tried some stations in the past. What do you like about them? What do you wish was different? What don't you like? Once we applied that, then we came out into the market with our station in 2012, about a year to a year and a half after our competitors came out with the charging station. So we've been called sort of the version 2.0 of charging stations. SemiConnect, in my eyes, is an expensive unit. Effectively, you've got 50 amps at 240 volts for over $3,000, whereas I can just hop on Amazon and find any modern level two 
home garage EVSE that pumps out the same power for around $600. Why would I go with SemiConnect? Why is there a fee for every unit? Why not just a flat fee per institution annually? Yeah, but well, let's, let's talk about that. So the ones that you would buy online, those would be predominantly for your home use, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't make a home unit, right? So home units are between $600 to, uh, to $1,000. You're going to put it in your mm-hmm. own garage, and it's just going to be yourself and your household using that. Our stations, they're at a MSRP price of $3,600, and essentially what they do is it's the same station, essentially, but with a lot more components to it. And it has to be rugged because when you put these outside in the weather, that's a lot of different conditions than in your own garage, right? You're going to have the risk of vandalism, the risk of all the weather conditions, sun, heat, snow, rain. In Hawaii, there's a concern of the marine salt life you know, from the sea and the ocean hitting the stations there as well. Corrosion. So it has to be rugged. Secondly, commercial properties are dealing with 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, numbers of EV owners trying to use the same station. Just like gas stations, you know, people treat gas pumps nicely and not so nicely. You need a station that's going to be rugged. Also, to be able to collect money from the EV owners to say, you know, the longer you stay here, the more you'll pay. Or maybe we'll give some people free charging, some other people we won't give them free charging. Or you get free charging for a period of time and then... The longer you stay here, the more the rates go. Um, some properties want to also say, well, we're going to limit it to that the employees or the tenants on the property can use the station while those who don't live here or don't work here can't use the station. So they need that flexibility. And then lastly, for all of that flexibility, it needs a software platform, which is the big part of it all. It's the brains, and that has to connect to the internet. Well, most home units that you can get for $800, $600, don't have a way to connect to the internet. There's no need to connect to the internet. You just, you plug your car in and you're good. So there's all the connectivity as well. And then I think lastly is that yeah, commercial properties do expect these things to be running operational at all times. If your charging station at home doesn't work, eh, it's maybe a $600 replacement. But for $3,000, $3,600 in that area, these need to be running full tilt at all times. Have you guys thought at all about level three? which the SAE says doesn't exist, but it does exist. I, I, I hate that little, that little point of contention that I have with them. The Society of Automotive Engineers, they have this thing where under the J1772 protocol, they say, oh, it's all level two. But if you're getting so many amps and so many volts, it's, you get to a point where you're getting... 140 kilowatts is not level two. It, you call it level three. You can also call it faster rapid, but it's level three. What is your what is your thoughts on that? Well, there's two questions there. What do I think about you know DC fast charging, level three, all that? To be honest with you, I'm just like when it comes down to it, I'm probably fine with level three. I'm probably fine with DC fast charger. I would say when you're talking your home unit, which you would plug into a 110, you're using AC. When you're plugging into a, one of our level two charging stations, that's a 208, 240 AC. But the moment you go to DC fast charging, you're going from AC to DC. Is that a smooth transition from level one, level two to level three for jumping from AC to DC? Maybe, maybe not. Could it be, you know, something, there's a lot of other things. 
to me, I quite don't care. I think what really comes down to it is how many miles you're getting added to your vehicle per hour. If you go to your 110 plug at home, you're going to expect about four and a half miles for every hour of charge. When you go to a level two charging station, you expect around 25 miles for every hour of charge. If you go to a DC or a level three, whatever you call it, you're probably getting about 70 or 80 miles for every hour of charge. So the semantics of it all, I'm just a little bit like, I wasn't there in that day when they voted on what to call it. <laughs> so what can I do? Can't do anything about that. My comment and what I pointed out to Weber Automotive when they uploaded that video, uh, <laughs> Weber State Automotive, I should say, is that it's a consumer word. It, 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 the consumer doesn't give a and I'm going to bleep that word, but the consumer doesn't give a what the engineer calls it. Yeah. The consumer knows that there's a certain amount of electricity coming out of the thing and it's faster. And like Chris Ramsey was saying from over at Plug-In Adventure, I interviewed him recently. He was saying that it's the consumer mindset. It's how the human brain thinks. Yeah, simplicity, mm-hmm. just classifying very easily. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to take this one step further and bring up another group. There's a website called Charge Hub. Yeah, yeah. We actually have uh, imported graphics of all of the little sockets on Uh, our EV101. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for those who are not familiar, essentially, yeah, you have people who don't know electricity driving, they're considering driving electric cars. Well, people don't know gasoline. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people know the difference between liters, quarts, everything else, right? Gallons and liters. You drive from the U.S. over to Canada, you suddenly have to pull a calculator out every time you start filling up before, if you're kind of curious how many miles or kilometers to the gallon or not, right? Stuff. So Charge Hub is trying to simplify that to say, well, you know what, forget all that. Well, I don't want to say forget it, but enter in what car do you have? Well, I have a Chevy Bolt or I have a Nissan Leaf or I have a Tesla Model Y. Great. These are the charging stations you can go to. And these are the speeds and what you expect to get it from it. I think at the end of the day, the people that I talk to kind of don't care level one, level two, level three. I think a lot of people I talk to are more of just how many miles do I get? I always get the first question I always get when I talk to people who are new to EVs is not how many miles per hour do I get? It's well, how long does it take to charge? It's like, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> how much distance do you have in your battery? You know, mm-hmm. older cars had a hundred miles of range. Newer cars are going to have, they have 250 and 300 and 400 are coming out. Well, it's going to take different. If you have the same rate, 25 miles per hour, well, this, it's actually more of not ask how long does it take to charge? It's, well, how many miles of capacity do you have? And then how many hours does it take to fit that capacity? Right. How big is your battery? Right. So for simple math, if your car has a hundred mile range vehicle is a hundred miles of range. 25 miles per hour, that's four hours. If you were mm-hmm. at 1%, it would be about a four hours, roughly. 200 mile range, same thing, but about eight hours, right? Simple math at that point. So once people start going, oh, I get it, it's, it's that, right? Then, then there's a different conversation that starts taking place. Yeah, you bring up Charge Hub. Oh, that's a great website. We've got on our website, centralev.org, and if you hover over EV101, mm-hmm. you click on that EV101 link, it'll take you to the page that has the basic information to get 
somebody into the mindset of electric vehicle, into the mindset of EV. Mm -hmm. We imported the little pictures of NEMA 1450, J1772. If you take a look through that EV 101 page, it's not a deep dive into any of these concepts. It's a basic this is what it is. This is what it looks like. And it's got a little sense of humor. It's got a little zings, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I love Charge Hub. You are the regional manager for the Northwest, Hawaii, and British Columbia. Yeah, Western Canada. That is a, that is a big area. It is. What is the size of your team? And I'm assuming you must always live in Hawaii. And if you don't, why? I'm not there today. Well, we have about, I think, 10 regional reps around the U.S., and we're considered a small company. We've actually built our company to be absolutely strongest with some of our techniques, which I can get into if you're curious. We don't need as many people to make this function. We have competitors that are trying to be enormous companies, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes that a lot of people may or may not know, but we don't need that many people. It keeps our overhead down. We've I don't really like to use the term we've built a a better mousetrap, you know, but there's things that we do that no other charging station does. And, and secondly, there's some things that we predicted would happen in the future that would mean that being smaller would be better. One of my biggest competitors uh, just had a layoff of 50 employees. I would say that right there would decimate our company if we did a layoff of 50 employees, but they did. Mm. So, and ironically, it was on Earth Week. On Earth Day was April 22nd, but it happened that day. I'm not trying to throw salt in the wound there, but it's like, wow, just bad timing. It's <laughs> just probably so. And why, are, why am I not in Hawaii and all that? Well, one of the benefits of our stations is that we don't physically have to be there on site to service the stations, which is one of our strengths. And I do get to Hawaii about twice a year. When I'm there, I'm there for like a week, and it is purely business until the evening, pretty much. You know, just I get to look at the water a little bit while I'm there, but it's 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 a full on uh, five day street at least of you know four to five appointments a day with customers. But most of my business, I mean, look at it. What, what are we doing? We're talking right now with the phone and Zoom and everything else. Our company is all about saying, well, why could we do that every day anyway? So I mean, my trips to Portland are about once a month. Canada's maybe once a month. Only for like one or two days each. You know, I'd like Hawaii to go up a little bit more, but this works adequately right here, right? That's my entire point behind that is that since, since you are doing remotes, I would just spend the whole time in Hawaii and then do the remotes to the other places, not the opposite. Well, I'll say this. I have done plenty of time doing remote work, not necessarily from my home where I live in Bellevue, Washington. So I've got that luxury. What do you like about Bellevue? It's funny you say that. My house is actually on the market right now. Oh, oh yeah. You mentioned in the email that your uh, your wife is actually in the real estate business. She's done real estate in the past, yeah. And so the bottom line is this. We absolutely love Bellevue. We've been, we've been here for now eight years. Same time, I, I literally became a member of the Northwest or the Seattle area when I joined SemiConnect. Being from Colorado my whole life, prior to that, it's always been a dream to kind of live near the water. So we're very close to the water, but we're looking at some other little coastal areas in, in the area, again, to be remote as much as possible near the water. Since we are a college club, 
one of the big things that our club likes to focus on is possible career paths and avenues for its members mm-hmm. and students at the university at large. What does the day in the life of someone at SemiConnect look like from your eyes? How big of a workforce do you actually have? And you say you're a small company. Mm-hmm. What's your ratio that you might say of engineers to non-engineers? Well, I'd say, I mean, in, in rough guess, I mean, we're probably 60 employees deep, probably. Small business. You know, everybody's just got different roles. It's an interesting thing. And what I like to make mention is it's almost like managing a smartphone. You have some people, yes, selling them. Well, that's got to happen. You've got to have a marketing team. You've got that. You've got to have people that make the phone, develop it. You've got to have people that test it. You know, product and development. So new ideas and everything else that would be needed to say, hey, let's try this new idea and put it into the phone, right? You've got, you know, the competitive research group as well, sort of thing. And then just overall customer support, management, that sort of thing as well. We accomplish that, like I said, within about 50, 60 people. Everybody's just skilled and, and passionate about what they do. It really operates and, and hums uh, really well. And, and of course, we, what makes us different too is that we actually manufacture both our own software and the hardware. A lot of charging station companies either make the software, make the hardware, but they don't do both. It's great because if there's ever a challenge with one or the other, we can point right at ourselves internally and say, what do we got to do to fix that? Versus, sorry, you got to talk to the company that does this or the company that does that. And that's a major frustration for customers that buy other stations. I saw your installation up at Western Washington University. That's a, that was a great installation. What was the process that your team went through in order to convince the university to install those electric vehicle chargers or was it somebody at the university who had to convince the board was it a student was it staff faculty that you work with primarily what sort of campaign happened and how long did that take good question the answer to that question started in spokane at gonzaga university Mm. every year there's a group um Washington Higher Education Sustainability Summit, I think it is. It's, it happens every mm-hmm. year, and it rotates around to the different universities. Um, they pick a different university every year. But it's basically everything to do under the sun that it's all great for sustainability at universities. I met a couple of contacts at Western Washington State University at that event. I, was, I had a booth, and I was set up. Long story short is they came in looking specifically for a vendor of a charging station that they were familiar with. And they said, oh, what's this? And they said, this is a competitor. It's a newer station. It's got some newer features. And they went through about 10 or 15 minutes, heard what we do differently, and led to probably about six or eight months later, they ended up being customers at Western Washington University. That's a HUSEC or HUSEC, however it's pronounced. We just this year, which might be the reason why we weren't present at that event mm-hmm. is because we just this year hired our first ever sustainability coordinator as a university ah. and that that individual works in the office of operations Great. so it's not even its own department yet whereas western the uw wazoo they have 12 to 20 people among them 
who are <laughs> dedicated to sustainability. And Wazoo has an entire office within that that is green transportation. Mm. And I now have thrown my hat into the ring as the sustainable transportation lead. It's unpaid, all volunteer. My big push right now is electric vehicle chargers. Of course, there is another initiative uh, that's called Bike to Campus Day, and they are promoting bicycles, of course. I ride my Schwinn around everywhere. I've logged in probably 100 miles just just this month alone. I mean, just riding back and forth to town, that might be an exaggeration, but I, I ride that bike everywhere. Yeah. I hardly drive. Yeah. But the vehicles that are on the road, I think should be electric. And that's the mission of this club. Drive less, yes, I say, as sustainable transportation. But as Electric Vehicle Club president, I say the ones that are on the road should not pollute. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, no tailpipe emissions. Reduction of tailpipe emission is going to be the most important effort in our society, I believe, because the transportation sector is responsible for between 40 to 50% of emissions globally, <laughs> annually. Do you see SemiConnect as a company that is fighting for the environment, or is it more just a another technology company for me personally i'm absolutely fighting for let me say this to help people get into electric vehicles for for multiple benefits i'm, I'm here to say this emissions that is definitely one of the reasons some people just think they're great cars i'm like great if you love an electric vehicle go for it some people say it's it saves them money on fuel costs i'm like great if that's the reason go for it some people say hey if it affects climate change emissions great go for it I do have my own reason for it, which is why I got into electric vehicles. And it has, I'm definitely a person that believes in, in what's going on with the climate. And, and it, I think some serious changes need to be done. But really what it came down to is the word power. Not power like powering your car, but power of like governments. Some people are probably not going to like for me to say this, but I do believe that oil is one of the most powerful commodities and in industries. Yeah, and a lot of governments are going to say, hey, I've got more of this resource than other countries do. Therefore, fight me on <laughs> trying to sell your product less price. It might be competitive, right? And Or if you are a, a country that needs what that, that country needs, you have to a lot of times bow down to their demands. A husband of a coworker whose husband essentially was called over to the Middle East when Saddam Hussein was uh, destroying the oil wells. He was losing the war in Kuwait. He destroyed the oil wells on his way of saying, well, if I'm losing this war and I can't have the oil, then nobody else will. I guess that's his thinking. But he sabotaged these oil wells over there, and that was pretty well known. 
and the whole world gasped on that day when that happened. They're like, hey, this is going to like jack prices up on gas. He can't do that. We're going to have a shortage, blah, blah, blah. I mean, fear just ran him up just by this guy doing this. Well, about a month and a half later after those events, living in Colorado, somebody I knew, their husband was flown over there to go work on the oil wells and get them fixed, get them back up and running, right? They secured the area as much as they could, fix them up. There it is. But after being there for about two and a half weeks or three weeks, I think it is, he was walking around at night and he and one of the other uh, employees that was hired over to do that were shot and killed. So he wasn't even in the war, but he was in the war, if that makes sense, right? He wasn't in it. Well, about a year after his death, I worked with the guy's wife and she said one time, you know, well, if, he, if we weren't so dependent upon oil, he would still be alive, probably, most likely. So would thousands of other people all around the world. People have died, in her opinion, people have died because of oil, because of the wars over oil. Mm -hmm. Just a simple thought. And right around that time, you know, the EV1 was out, and um, so my coworkers and I were talking like, gosh, what would the world look like if we stopped using oil and use electricity instead? Mm -hmm. And it was like, that would be interesting because you you suddenly took power away from from countries who had all this power. You took that from them, and you spread the power out amongst just every every country, right? Because here's one of the things: um, as I'm sitting here talking to you, we have sun outside here in Seattle, in the Bellevue area. That sun has been providing power since the first human walked this earth. Mm. It's power. If everybody had a chance to use that we could say, you know, great. No one can have a monopoly on that, right? No one can be the top dog country with most sunlight versus anybody else. I guess Canada might have a few challenges in that, you know, or Antarctica, right? It's more of disbursement of that is available. So we were talking about, well, what would, what would the world look like if we weren't using oil, but we were using electricity? One thing I've seen before, and I've seen this in a couple of different sources, so... I, trust me, I'm not the guy that gets down the rabbit holes about all the electricity and, and oil, but I know enough. The amount of re oil refineries that are out there to make the oil that we all use and everything, they actually take a ton of electricity to do oil. I saw somewhere where the, there's five, if you took five oil refineries in England and removed them, the amount of electricity that would have been used annually on those oil refineries to make oil we now have this abundance of electricity. I think even Elon Musk has pointed this out. The amount of electricity that we'd be able to have would power that country 10 or 20 times over. There'd be more electricity available, essentially. Removing oil means there will be more electricity for people to use. More, and there's been a fear of, well, we don't have enough electricity for the grid and this and that. It's like, well, again, if you stop using it for the oil refineries, there'll probably be more electricity available for everybody else. I'm definitely into the climate side of things as well, but that was where I got started into this whole thing. As far as semiconductor goes, I think, you know, we're all humans. Uh, we all come from different areas. The sales team is spread out across the country in different regions. But without a doubt, I think everybody's in this to say, you know, there's an alternative. That's why they, I mean, here's actually a thing too. Everybody calls it alternative fuels. I've always said, well, wait a minute, what's been around the longest? What's been around longer, oil mm. or sun, or sun, wind, and water? Mm -hmm. Sun, wind, and water, I think have been around longer than oil has. Water has probably been around longer than oil has. Wind has been around longer than oil has. 
shouldn't we be calling oil the alternative fuel, right? And call these the primary fuels. I joke. There you go. Taking a look at your LinkedIn profile, this career that's listed with you at SemiConnect is, am I right in saying it's the longest job you've held since 1996? So I should think that, that something about this company gives you a sense of satisfaction or a sense of enjoyment, personal growth. I, I can tell you too, when I, when I left uh, my previous employer, it was salesforce.com. I really enjoyed my time there with them. Mark Benioff, the CEO of uh, Salesforce, was on the front cover of Forbes magazine in the February of 2012. And it said on the front cover, Salesforce, most innovative company in the world. And I left the company two months later. <laughs> Very ironic time. <laughs> I just left the most innovative company in the world. Well, when I did, my fellow employees were both like, what are you doing? You're going to go power up Priuses or something? What? What? I don't get like, no, I don't think it's that. And then some were like, well, you know what? If it doesn't work out, the door is open. Come back in six months or whatever it takes for you to figure out it's not going to work for you. Right? In April of 2016, right around April 2nd, 3rd or 4th, somewhere in there, I got a phone call from one of my ex-employees. He said, um, man, everybody here is talking about you today here at Salesforce. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, on March 26, about a week ago, Elon Musk announced the Model 3. Put $1,000 down and you're on the waiting list. He says, I can mm. tell you, there, there's at least 30 or 40 people here that put $1,000 down on the Model 3. And everybody said, that guy, Eric, he, he knew something was going to happen. And it took, mm. took four years for that moment, but that's when I was like, yeah, I, this is it, right? So... That was a turning point for me. But that wasn't until a Model 3. So it took four years from when I left Salesforce until when the Model 3 was released in 2016 that I realized this is turning some corner here. You know, this is, this is, it was tough going for the first four years. There's no doubt about it. I had people hang up on me saying, oh, there's no electric vehicles coming and why would I buy a charging station if no one's going to use them ever, right? Hmm. Well, then I also had people who hung up on me. I, I looked up or looked over my phone and said, "Oh, I know who that person is." They hung up on me like a year ago because you you remember people who hang up on you. There was about I'd say four or five people that did, and I got a phone call one day, and I said, "So, do you remember me? You last time we spoke, you hung up on me." And she's like, "No, I did." And I said, "Yeah, we were talking about stations and vehicles." And then she was like, oh, yeah, I guess we did. Oh, I did. Oh, I'm sorry about that. And I said, well, what's different today? And she said, hey, yeah, well, two people in our company now drive electric vehicles. Now we're going to play a little game. It's called Charge Me Up. Essentially, the idea of this game is I have some, uh, I, I have had some difficulties communicating the necessity for EVSEs. Your objective is to tell me if this is a, a good thing or a bad thing. Okay. I should say. Okay. okay. We need electric vehicle chargers because eventually everyone will be driving electric. I would say, number one, I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea if it's going to work out, right? Um, I think you can say, hey, we're on the path to say that's where it's headed. And proof has shown with sales of EVs that from you know 2011 when the first vehicles well, that's when I started getting a little bit more mainstream uh, or started hitting the market 2011 to now. Yeah, there's far more electric vehicles than there are 
or then. So we're headed down that path. But I think I would say, yeah, plan for electric vehicles and charging because there's more coming than there are going away. And it's going at a faster rate than ever before. B. And if you believe that this is a good thing to say, then you say hot. If you believe that it's <laughs> a bad thing to say, then you say not. Okay. Are you cold? Would you like me to heat you up? Here's an EV charger. Okay. I've never tried. I've never tried that. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I don't know. I might have to think about that one. <laughs> I don't know if that's. A, I think. I think knowing property managers enough, I think they might think, "What's in it for me? What's in it for our property?" This is the third one. Finally, okay. okay. Electric vehicles will take over the world. And we need to be ready. So we need to install our electric vehicle chargers now so that when the robots take over, they'll avoid killing us all because we did our part to save the planet. would say there's definitely possibility of uh, this happening, but I don't know if I'll be here to see that moment. Autonomous vehicles, of course. I'd say this too, it's kind of interesting. I always kind of go, well, why is AI being linked to electric vehicles? It could be in gas cars too, but start off with a clean slate and starting the electric vehicles, I guess that's why AI is there. But the robots, yeah, that's it. They make our lives better, but they also might eliminate our lives completely, so who knows? Okay, Eric Smith, you've won the game. Charge me up. I like it. And <laughs> would you agree with the the sentiment that electric vehicles are better technologies than gasoline? Oh, definitely. And I know that there's a lot of uh, skepticism on it. But I got to be honest with you. I think every angle of skepticism that's come at me, I've said, well, okay. Two things. Where is that person coming from who is saying the skepticism? Sometimes they're driven by money, investment in the oil industry, investment in this or that. Some of them are like, hey, tradition is, uh, tradition is not one of my most favorite words ever. Tradition just means you're doing the same thing over and over again. And for why? I don't know. It's what I've just always done. It's what my family's done. Okay. Um, so why do you have an iPhone 11 <laughs> if you're doing the same thing? I mean, why don't you have the old telephone? Why don't you have a tin can and screen and talk to each other? You don't. There's some things you evolve in, some things you don't. So anyway, don't get me started on tradition. I just, not my favorite word. Um, and there's just the idea that um, there's bad information. One of my favorite sayings is, I've heard that Americans are sometimes the most compassionate, thoughtful, caring people on the planet. They make great decisions. But the problem is, is that a lot of them are given bad information. That's a challenge. So are electric vehicles bad? Well, if you're given some information that you're going to latch onto without really expanding on all facets, you I don't care what the topic is, that's going to be a challenge. The question but, that the detractors bring up is, well, several. One of them is that, oh, well, you're, and I saw this on a tweet, by the way, mm -hmm. last night. Mm -hmm. So I know that people are saying this, and especially with that, with that, that hit job, Planet of the Humans, 
oh, well, you're charging on the uh, electric vehicle grid and you're saying, oh, well, an electric vehicle, we need to drive electric vehicles because they don't use fossil fuels. Have you ever heard of coal? That thing that powers our electric grid? That's a fossil fuel. What's your response to, to this? I would say in our respective, everybody that's ever worked in coal, everybody that's worked in the gas industry, A, there are definitely some negatives to continue as humans using those forms of fuel. Pollution being one of the biggest ones, right? Secondly, the amount of heat that you, or the amount of energy that comes from burning coal or oil is not as efficient as using electricity. You get more out of electricity than you do coal or, or, or gas. So you actually have to have more of that than you would in electricity. It's less expensive with electricity. Again, I'm looking outside. There are three things that have been feeding this planet with energy for longer than coal, longer than oil, and that is the sun, wind, and water. Mm-hmm. All three of those can provide electricity throughout and have been here longer. We've just decided as humans that coal and oil seem like pretty good sure bets to do that. Well, at the same time, and again, I'm not an expert, but I've read studies that says we are going to be limited on how much gasoline is left in this world eventually. We're going to run out of it. I don't know if it will. Let's just say one day we go, well, that's it. You hear like the last little droplet of gasoline. We're all going to be in trouble. It's going to be the Mad Max movie at mm-hmm. that point, right? You know? Mm-hmm. And as far as coal goes, it's like, well, not as efficient not as healthy for the planet. Just there's lots of reasons not to do it. Talking about islands, islands are a very interesting case study when it comes to electric vehicles because you don't necessarily need level three chargers across an island, especially if you're not not a big island because you're not going that far. Some of them are pretty big, so you definitely do need level three. But... A place like the San Juans, I don't know if you have any SemiConnect chargers up in San Juan County, but San Juan Island and San Juan County, San Juan Island alone has 18 level two chargers on it, 19 now. Yeah. And it's not a very big island. San Juan County is the largest per capita county in the United States with electric vehicles. The Orkney Islands up in Scotland are at certain days 115% renewable energy. Mm-hmm. There are more chargers on these small islands than in entire cities in Scotland. And the islands where Elon Musk has been rolling out his battery deployments and solar installations, islands are an interesting case study. Is this... What was the motivating factor to go into Hawaii? <laughs> well, like I said, I was with the company now. I've been with the company now for eight years. And I was uh, there literally in the first month of all the hires of all the salespeople. Well, one of the questions was there was myself and a couple of people in California. And I just asked my boss, I said, so who's got Hawaii? He goes, well, we were wondering when one of you three were going to ask who's got Hawaii. You're the first. I said, okay, so what would it take? He goes, a sale. So I said, so no one else has asked about it. He said, no, you're the first one. I said, okay. 
So I just picked up the phone and started calling some places in Hawaii and said, do you need a charging station? And I'll tell you what, within about three weeks, I had a sale. And my boss goes, there you go. You got Hawaii. So that was it. And my, my two California counterparts were both a little bit upset, but then my boys kind of scolded them and said, you don't get what you don't ask for, right? You just, mm. that, that's a model in life. You, so Sorry, not to pat myself in the back, but I was like, yeah. And so, and actually, it's funny is that living in Seattle, I'm like, of me and the two people who live in California, I'm kind of the one that needs Hawaii more than they do because, come on, they got San Diego, LA, San Francisco. Nothing not beautiful about Seattle, but they got more sunshine than I do, right? So, mm. it worked out. It worked out. What's it like going across the border to Canada? And does SemiConnect have ambitions to have EVSEs in Europe, Asia, Africa, South America? Well, customs is always a challenge. Um, I am this one weirdo that whenever I cross the border, because I always, I have a demo unit charging station and it's, it's about this big. <laughs> it's a bomb. It's a bomb. <laughs> exactly. The bottom line is, I can't go through the regular people line, right? Do you have a next card? I don't have it because I only go there like once every four to six weeks. But essentially here for those out there, this is what it looks like, you know? So that's, a, mm-hmm. and it's, it's about 35 pounds, 40 pounds, I think it is. So I have to park and go in and declare it and carry this thing in there. And there's always, you know, the border patrol folks are armed to the teeth. Every single time I walk by, you could tell they got like one hand on the gun and going, what is that thing? And I go, well, it's a charging station for Tesla's and electric vehicles and all that. They're like, oh, okay. And then they always go, is it really that small? Because I've seen these huge ones and I'm yeah. like, it's that small. It does not need to be that big, you know? Like, oh, okay. That's yeah. So I get conversation at the border all the time with the border guards. And now they actually recognize me and they're like, oh, you're that guy that comes in here, you know, so. Have you had a conversation about their fleet converting uh, to oh electric? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trust me. I mean, there's so – I tell people, whenever I carry my charging station around, I'm happily married, but if I were a single guy, this would be like the new puppy because mm. everybody wants to talk to you, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Having a, it's like having a puppy and people go, what the heck is that, you know, and – I've heard crazy questions like, or crazy responses like industrial blow dryer, you know, does it serve drinks, that sort of thing, because it just looks so weird and different from what people see. But then going over to Europe and all that, I haven't really been following on that internally. I don't know if we will or not. Maybe someday. We're doing, we're just focusing on pretty much our own backyard, which is North America for the most part. What are some of the things that I could say to my university to get them to install electric vehicle chargers? Hmm, okay. I would start right off the bat. So why don't you have charging stations? That would be a question. I'm saying that would be a question to pose at them, right? Now, you might know the answer. You might know this, but that would be for anybody who's out there thinking about their workplace or university or whatever. I'd say, yeah, so why don't we have them? Yes. Get that information. Now, be prepared. A, we don't believe this is going to happen. You know, EVs are coming. Okay, you've got to be ready for that. B, uh, they cost too much. Okay. C, you know, I don't 
believe in it or D well, maybe next year's financing we'll look at it. Right. Ultimately though, what I encourage places to do is really stop and say, actually, let me, let me share this. I have so many EVOs telling me, Oh man, I would love it if there was more charging stations everywhere at this place, at that place, at this place. And then I say, okay, now let me ask you this question, EV owner. Have you ever stopped and actually parked the car, walked inside and spoke to property management? Not the door greeter, not a, a volunteer, but talk to the key people and said, I would like to see a charging station here. I come here frequently. I would use this. And I'm confident that as more electric vehicles are coming, there's going to be more people that want to use it. Now, one other thing that the, if you ask a property manager, why don't you have a station? One of the things you're going to say is, well, because people aren't asking for it. This mm. is an interesting thing. Mm. I talked to both sides of the fence, essentially, the EV owners and the property managers and electricians, architects, and all that. This group on this side are always saying, well, people aren't asking for a station. They might say, well, I keep seeing you guy. You keep coming here all the time, but I don't see other people. So we think there's only one person that wants a station. I have to remind them, EV owners don't come and ask. They just assume you're either going to have one or you don't. That's, that's one thing. Number two, EV owners don't have a lot of time to park the car and go ask and talk and find who the right person is. It's a little confrontational. It's kind of tough for some people to want to do that, right? But really the third one, which is the biggest, I think, PlugShare is the most commonly used app that shows where all charging stations are at North America. Hmm. If I'm driving from point A to point B in seconds, I can see whether or not there's a charging station there or not. Guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go there and expect to find a charging station. I'm going to go right. in the area and go to the place that has a station, possibly. But I'm, you know, just humans. We're not going to knock on every door and say, this is what I want. Give it to me. Give it to me. Right? You're just going to go, I'm going to go to the place that has it. That is a point that I'm trying to make yep. is that when I got here, before I got here, I looked up two things. One was I actually did go on PlugShare. I looked at this university. I said, do they have an electric vehicle charger? Mm -hmm. And listed on, on PlugShare was one electric vehicle charger on campus. Yep. I'm like, that's cool. Secondly, was do they have an electric vehicle club? And listed on the list of clubs was, yes, there was a club. Unbeknownst to me, to both of those facts, those weren't entirely correct. A is that the electric vehicle charger at this university is a straight NEMA 1450 outlet next to a 120 volt outlet. It's not an actual charger, but that's fine. It's a charging station as long as you have an adapter and people with early generation electric vehicles, they do have adapters, but there's a sign on it that says for faculty and staff use only. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. The second point is that on the list of clubs at this university, um, there is a color coding system that I wasn't aware of at the time when I was looking through it. 
the color coding system is if the background is green on this column or this row, then that club is active. If the background is white, then it's inactive. They still have the club listed, even though the club's inactive. And the background of the electric vehicle club was white. It's called owner neglect. The station owner just, somebody bought it, put it in, probably were passionate about it, and it just kind of let it sit. And so I came to this university in fall quarter of this year, actually. And I went directly to the faculty advisor listed as on that spreadsheet that excel document and i said what's up with the club he says it died in 2016 coincidentally enough that's the same year that the mit's electric vehicle team died off and alex is trying to restart it at, at roughly the same time that i'm bringing this one back mm. and so i i i also emailed the mit electric vehicle team i'm like are you guys coming back they're like absolutely I'm like, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I might do the same thing here, bring this club back. So I say to the faculty advisor, Charles Pringle, I say, do you mind if I bring this club back? He says, go for it. And now, as opposed to what we used to be, which is an electric vehicle racing team from 2007 to 2016, we didn't do too many races. It was more for engineering principles for the MET. Yeah. Now we are also a, a member of the Electric Auto Association. Our chapter is a college, college campus chapter of the Electric Auto Association. And this year, in addition to us entering as a college campus chapter, the Electric Auto Association now has its first ever education liaison on the board. He, his name is Russell Corbin, and he goes to Pomona College in California. And I think that our organization might be a, a sort of a pilot program to bring other universities into the Electric Auto Association, other electric vehicle clubs around the country, racing teams and et cetera, into the Electric Auto Association as a more official capacity. We are an actual chapter, but we do so many more things than just a regular chapter of the Electric Auto Association, That's like great. this podcast like the racing team, the Electrothon, like the Volvo that we just got, the 1990 Volvo 240 DL that we are converting to electric and are going to be racing in the NADRA. That's great. Everything, all of these initiatives are so much more than just a, a regular Electric Auto Association chapter. What is the coolest electric vehicle that you've ever driven? Uh, what is it, Arkhamoto? Arkimoto, you've driven the Arkimoto, the FUV? Yeah, yeah. Kind of a funny thing, too. So my wife and I are actually musicians, have a group, and we went down there one time, and, they, and we said, oh, I'd love to use this in one of a music video one time. You know, and he said, yeah, he says, come down here, and you can, you can use it. We just haven't taken them up on it, but uh, they're down in Eugene, Oregon. I would love to have that. And to kind of conversely say what is the EV that I'm most looking forward to is the Volkswagen bus. Um, the, the, is a the ID buzz. buzz. Yeah. yeah. And a cool little story is this. So there's a shoe company that begins with letter N, ends with letter E, that's based out of Beaverton, Oregon. Okay. <laughs> um, one of our customers, 
the gentleman who is overseeing their electric vehicle charging station for their employees. We were talking one day, and I said, yeah, I want the Volkswagen Buzz. And he says, oh, well, I want to let you know we've got maybe six of those on order already. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, really? Because uh. we have a campus, and we want to have this be all around the area. And I said, oh, my gosh. And I told him – what would be really cool is if you sometime maybe had like, oh, I don't know, like a basketball team and you had like the players like pick each other up in this thing and in, 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 the, in the buzz and go around the campus. It could be pretty cool. And he said, oh, we might actually do a thing where like we have like a basketball player, a baseball player, track and field person, hockey, football. And I said, okay. He said, well, can I get credit for that? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. Call it the air buzz? Me? Oh, that'd be cool. Well, so <laughs> the end of the story is this. One day I get a text message and he said, Eric, check this out. And it literally is the ID buzz with the word of the company on it. And it was on their property. Oh, oh my gosh. God. He said, and he said, are you in the area? And I said, no, I'm up here in Bellevue. And he's like, well, it's here for like the next two hours. If you can get down here, you can check it out. And I'm like, <sighs> so... You could probably Google that if you know what I'm talking about. Type in ID Buzz space the name of a shoe company based out of Beaverton. You might be able to find a picture and of that. That's really cool. Of course, that's a, a great promotional activity on Volkswagen's part. Yeah. Just yeah. to get into the sport field. The ID Buzz kind of looks like a shoe. Sure. That, that, that makes me think of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where when they were creating the modern version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the most recent iteration, the movie with... Yeah, yeah. One of the Rings guy. <laughs> yeah, most Def, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most Def plays. <laughs> and the guy from the Lord of the Rings plays Arthur Dent. And I was watching the DVD commentary and they were saying, shoes back in, back in the day were so bland and mm-hmm. opaque and to say that a spaceship looked like a shoe well shoes today they look like spaceships it wasn't what douglas adams was going for when he originally wrote that line that the starship particle looked like a shoe so they just created their own shape their own style they just went away with that idea and they made it their own which was i think really cool you do you drive ev i do i'm on my third electric vehicle all three have been nissan leafs and actually you're kind of bringing up a subject so maybe the question is why do i have why if i had three electric vehicles most people just have one right or maybe two but why three i'm a firm believer that there is not only technology, uh, well, let's just say power of technology is also knowing how to use it. It's also knowing how to acquire it. And let me say this. Anybody can Google this. There's a rule that consumers should always look at when acquiring technology. And that rule is buy mature technology and lease changing technology. What that means is, I'm not trying to say people should go buy a gas car, but if you're going to buy any car, gas cars are mature technology. There's just nothing new about gas cars. I mean, No new major innovation about them, right? You should be buying those. You should not lease gas cars in that same sense because you're not supposed to lease mature. You're supposed to lease changing technology. So electric vehicles are changing technology. And what's changing? Well, the range is changing. The cost is changing. 
the speed at which the electricity comes into the vehicle is changing all these things right and they're making it better from the year before from the model before so you should be drivers should be leasing electric vehicles as opposed to buying them and i know a lot of people are going to say well wait a minute i i leased a, a gas car that was a bad experience and i said okay were you leasing mature technology because you're not supposed to you're supposed to buy mature technology right reason is this and i should show this i've got a document i can send it to you anybody wants it had my wife and I bought our first electric vehicle back in 2012, it was going to be around $42,000, 85 miles of range. Had we bought that, we would be kicking ourselves because we knew in about two or three years, there's going to be a better version of that car. And there was, there was a 100 mile range vehicle. So I would have said, Hey guy, I just bought myself a $42,000 car. It's three years old. Still got two more years of warranty. Would you like to buy it? I paid 42. You could look me in the eye and say, I'll give you 10 or $12,000 for it. Because I can get the same car for 105 miles, right? What's better is to lease the vehicle and trade it in after three years. Lease vehicle, trade it in. Lease vehicle, trade it in. Over the course of 10 years, so had we bought our first car $42,000, by leasing over the course of 10 years, we're going to spend about thirty-six dollars to $38,000, all things factored in, which is less than that cost of that first vehicle. There's that. Secondly, I know people say, well, you know, you want to buy it and hold it and make it, okay, you're going to drop $30,000 or some big percentage, 70% or whatever it is, when you try to sell this off to a friend or to the market, right? Because it's not worth the value as if you bought that gas car and watched it come down a little bit, right? You just don't get your, it just doesn't hold its value. Secondly, what's really an interesting thing about the leases too is this. I'm holding off on getting an electric vehicle because it's going to cost a lot of money to replace the batteries, right? I say, if you're driving your car for three years and you trade it in, I do not mean to make this sound callous, but I could kind of care less about the battery getting swapped out on. That's not falling on me, right? And secondly, whoever picks up that car, because you know you return it back to the dealership, they're going to sell it for ten, twelve, or fourteen thousand dollars. A lot of that cost. If you're the second buyer and you have to replace the battery at some point, you're like, well, yeah, but I, I didn't pay $40,000 just to replace the batteries for like another 5,000. I only paid $10,000 for the car and I replaced the batteries for 5,000. That's a lot less to buy it secondhand and deal with a battery replacement, right? As opposed to buying your car in 2012 and hoping that you can upgrade the batteries you go along, you're just spending a lot more money. Additionally, each time that we do a lease, the warranty clock starts over. We've been driving now for eight years and have mm. never been out of warranty. Mm. What vehicle would you know of that without you having to pay extra for that? Right? Um, also, every time we trade in the car, somebody, I mean, we, we get a better car every single time. The one argument I've heard people say, and I actually was getting beat up about this until I figured out, wait a minute, hold on, this is better. I've had people say, no, the reason why I bought one electric vehicle is because it's very wasteful to throw away all those cars. Mm. And it used to get to me like, yeah, I guess I am. And then all of a sudden one day, I went to a dealership and I said, so what's going on with all these cars that have been turned in off of leases? And they said, oh, they're going to some happy home. I've actually thought to myself, our first car, we turned it in, somebody else is now driving that car. Mm -hmm. I'm also driving an electric vehicle, so two of us are. Then. When we got done with that car, we traded in. Someone else is now driving that car, and here I am driving a new one. Three different households are buying electric vehicles 
as opposed to me of purchasing my first electric vehicle and that's it. And it feels pretty good knowing that people who couldn't afford an electric vehicle are buying a used one, three years old, for ten to twelve or fourteen thousand dollars, and maybe giving it to their college kid, maybe using it for their daily drives to the city, go to work back and forth. But I'm sure somebody loves it because they they save big money on it, and, and I'm saving money the whole time too. Buy mature technology, lease changing, and don't crisscross it. It's that's just the way it is. Our club is a program of the MET at Central Washington University, and that stands for Mechanical Engineering Technology. Yeah. The difference between our MET and other ME programs in some universities in the state and the country is that we are much more focused on the application rather than the conceptual ideas of engineering. Mm -hmm. So we learn the concepts and then we take those concepts and apply them to actual projects. Gotcha. And what's great about the racing team is that we have an avenue of outlet for these concepts. We have an avenue of application. One of the big things that we're doing is converting that 1990 Volvo to electric. And I would say that over the past 10 years, through companies like EV West and electric classic cars, new electric, these companies, even though the technology in electric vehicle motors is improving and the technology in batteries is improving, I, I don't, I don't want to say that you shouldn't convert your vehicle right now because it is going to be cheaper ultimately than, than buying a vehicle. Right. A lot of Americans, on average, they'll spend $30,000 on a new vehicle. But there are many people who either don't have credit scores or can't afford it. And so they're stuck, like myself, looking on Craigslist for vehicles that are 1000 and under. Myself, I never purchased a vehicle for more than $1,300 in my life. And that was my first vehicle that I shared the cost with my father. On my own, I've never spent more than $800 on a vehicle in my life. Whereas this first conversion projects that I've started on, these are going to be five grand at the end of it is my Ford Taurus. My 1984 Firebird <laughs> Jam is going to be a little bit more because I'm putting a more cooler motor in, into that. I'm putting a Tesla motor into the Firebird. Whereas yeah. the, the, the Taurus, I'm putting a, an EM61 Nissan Leaf traction motor and some Leaf batteries. So essentially, I'll have a Leaf in the shape of a Taurus. Yeah. And the parts that I'm getting are from Leafs that have crashed or are now in salvage. But they well, still have... That's actually my second leaf. We got into an accident and it got totaled after about two years into a three-year lease. So you might have my battery parts. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. It's a gift that keeps on giving, right? And, how, and actually on that point, I mean, how often can you talk about a gas car still giving back to the future, right? It's just, hmm. 
In fact, let me, let me say one thing too. So another thing that I think is amazing about electric vehicles versus gas cars is this. I always get this thing of like, well, these things are, the batteries are going to go into a dump, right? And it's going to be all this toxic sludge from batteries. And, and I think it's a, a legit concern. I always have to kind of remind a person and say, well, you know, every day there's CO2 going out is creating toxic sludge in the air, of course, every day. But an interesting thing that was explained to me is this. The lifespan of most gas cars, at least in the United States, I don't know about how it is in the rest of the world, the cars end up 10 to 12 years before they go to the junkyard. Mm. I think Americans like new shiny things for the most part. You got some people that say, no, I'm still driving my car that's 30 years old. And I go, I get that. I get that. That's kind of probably more the anomaly for a lot of people is, you know, the average I've seen is 10 to 12 years before the gas car goes to the dump. Well, electric vehicles really from like 2011, we're not at 10 or 12 years yet. We're right at that cusp. There's a good chance electric vehicles go to the dump. The, the cars from 2011 are going to find their way to the dump in that 10 to 12 years. But the difference is this, there's still a battery inside. And this mm-hmm. battery, I've seen reports that it could last another 15 to 25 years. I don't, and I don't quote me on what the number is, but it's gotta be something more than the life of the car is. Where they can take the battery and use it to provide batteries externally on your house or in commercial buildings. You know, Elon, Elon Musk is making that power grid down in Australia. I don't know if you heard about that. In Australia, there's a city that kept having lightning strikes that would have um, shut the city down in blackout mode like quite often during the, the season. So he said, I will either build this, and if it doesn't work within a certain time frame in this net with all these batteries and storage, you don't pay me. If, it, if I do it in the time frame, great. And I, he obviously beat the time frame, but the, now the batteries are used to like keep the hospitals afloat, you know, mm. everything else. So these batteries are going to be past the life of the car itself for another 15 to 25 years. And there are companies lining up to say, we want those batteries. We'll take them. Like when you're sending that car to the dump, hold on, give us the batteries, buy cars. And that car is really no different than the gas car itself, really, of the EV and that, but the batteries are different. So, Have you ever heard of Jehu Garcia? Remind me. He started out in YouTube as the Jag 35 owner. He made custom tripods and camera lenses, but then he started converting his Volkswagen bus to electric and he got really into batteries. And now he's effectively a battery expert because he started learning about it, tinkering with batteries. And what he's been doing is ordering recycled, upcycled, reused batteries, putting them into all sorts of different configurations for both electric vehicles and power banks. He charges his home on solar alone using these recycled batteries that he's figured out how to and where to order from in bulk and he advises people watching the channel on the best batteries to use for these projects. And even if a battery isn't going to be great for a power bank or a, what Tesla calls their power wall, he'll figure out another application for it. And somebody asks a question, what if you're going to deploy a mobile emergency juice 
unit for your jump starting your electric vehicle so you can get to a an EV charger. Well, he, he, he asked that question too. Is that possible with recycled batteries? So many other questions. He's a, he's a really intelligent fellow. He never went to college. He got his GED, right? Didn't even graduate high school on time. He got his GED later in life. One of the questions completely unrelated, do you work with utilities and grid companies when you're going into an area that maybe doesn't have any electric vehicle chargers? What is your relationship to? You know, whenever a property says we're ready to buy some stations, never do I really ever have to get involved in talking to the utility. It's more of, here's our station. Do you have an electrician that you like to use? Yep, here it is. It's our guy or gal that we use all the time. Great. Sell you the station, they install it, turn on the power, walk away, there we go. Only in rare cases do properties say, oh, our city kind of requires a couple of permits that are utility-based, but it's really not much. The good news is with our stations is that way back in 2008 when we started the company, when we released the product in 2012, we were thinking long-term, the utilities are going to want to have a way to sort of throttle back or forward the electricity ability and you know availability such as blackouts i mean we just had lightning storms here in in bellevue and last night heat waves power outages better use of electricity peak hours all that sort of thing so our stations are geared for that and the utility companies know that to kind of answer your question installations not really but long term the utilities are definitely saying we've got a few vendors that we like because they're very set up easily for the future of grid grid uh, type happenings and events I don't know if there's any inspirational quotes that you have, anything that you think that you, you just want to hammer home. What is, what is the most important thing that you want to, want to throw out there? One of my favorites, and I think it's from the guy Ed Bagley Jr., an actor who's been around. You can look him up. He has, I think he's got the one that has a quote that says, it's true. Electric vehicles are not for everybody. An electric vehicle would probably suit the need of 80% of all drivers. However, only 1% have figured it out. That's it's pretty powerful in my opinion. Again, I've been doing this for eight years. I've heard every reason why you can't get an electric vehicle. And as the technology is coming along and people are becoming more comfortable with it, it's all starting to settle down. The panic is in the fear of it is going away. Does your system have an iPhone app, an Android app that can be operated with it? Our charging stations? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, everybody's heard of PlugShare. You can actually, right now at this moment, I'm going to pick a place we all know called Pike Place Market. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, now let's just pretend we're out of the virus, right? Because eventually we will be. I'm going to drive down there. Now, I would, before I get there first, I would like to know if our stations are available or in use or not, or if the stations are available. Well, here's what I can do. I can click on the details. I can come down here inside of PlugShare, and I can hit station details. And I can see live in real time. Now, the place is not open, but they're all showing available, right? If they're ever in use, it's going to be in use listed on here. Also, if they're all in use, then this little green dot that's right here will turn to the color of gray, meaning don't show up expecting a station to be available. Mm. 
Okay. Also, mm -hmm. let's pretend I show up and there's eight stations down there and all eight are in use, but you and I are the ninth driver. What do we do? Run up and down the stairs to go see if someone's moved their car? And eh, that's not fun, right? You can actually come in here and say, notify me whenever one of those stations becomes available. And then lastly, so you're standing there in front of the station and it's a, uh, how much is it here? I think it's like a buck an hour. A dollar per hour gives me 25 miles, which conversely in gas terms is probably 250, three bucks for 25 miles, right? If you drive the 25 mile per gallon gas car, right here in the middle, pay with plug share. You can literally, just by clicking on it, it's gonna give me a message. You're not right next to that station. Are you sure you wanna pay for it? And I'm like, yeah, I don't wanna do that. So I'm gonna hit cancel. But once I'm there, it's gonna say, okay, great. Put in your credit card number. The great news is we were the first company to reach out to PlugShare and say, can we do this together? And I am actually the first person ever to use Pay with PlugShare Live when it went live. It was at two in the morning. I got up during the middle of the night and noticed I had an update on PlugShare. And I was like, there it is, it's our thing. And I drove to a Walgreens at two in the morning. I'm, I'm a geek in about this here, but I plugged in and I charged up and there you go. That's the great news. The bummer news is not all charging stations want to participate because what they want you to do is mm. say, okay, you found the station. Now close PlugShare and open up their app. Mm. And do whatever it is they feel is necessary to have you locked into their account. Like ChargePoint and Blink and many others? Could very well be. I would always ask the question, in your gas car driving days, if you drove up to a gas station and you're getting ready to pay, I don't care, $20 in cash or you want to put $20 on a credit card. Imagine if someone came walking out and said, hold on, before you pay, first, I need to get your name, your phone mm. number, your credit mm. card number, your email address, and your billing address. Mm. I think most people would say, uh, no thanks, right? I'm going to drive off. The other thing a person might do is say, why? I mean, because the gas station across the street, I don't need to do that. I just put money in. I'm good, right? Mm. The answer is usually... Well, we're just doing this to enhance the customer service experience. So we need your five bits of data. That's where the person should go. Again, they don't do it across the street. What better customer service are you giving me here? There should be a warning and lights should be starting to go off in heads here. What do they need that data for? Well, I'm going to say spoiler alert. There's a show on Netflix called The Great Hack. Bottom line of the story of the great hack is personal data, the personal data market actually has a higher value than the oil industry. If you're collecting data of individuals, reselling it, but think about this, what's the demographic of an EV owner? Usually a wealthy person, maybe a business owner, C-level, VP, director level, uh, highly skilled, they could be like a basketball player, plays for an NBA, uh, you know, professional team. They could be a coder. They could be whatever. They're making a lot of money, but they're also into, here's the best part. They're into new technology, right? All these people that drive an EV. This is pretty much a good demographic discussion, right? Or description. Well, imagine if you had all of those EV owners, you had their name, their number, their credit card number, their bill to address and cell phone number. And I don't know, you build your company now, you've got this data, you're collecting this, you're building your company and you're putting them, I don't know, maybe Anchorage, Alaska, maybe Kansas, or I don't know, how about right in the middle of Silicon Valley between all the companies that want that data? 
this is the thing. So one of the things about SemiConnect, I'm just going to say this up front, we do not require you to be a member of our network. Because we hmm. heard EV owners don't want a network uh, membership with this brand and this brand and this brand and this brand and this brand. We're like, fine, you don't need to. At the very least, all we need is your credit card number, the station number that you're paying on, and the five-digit zip code, and you can pay for it. Simple things as that. This is very interesting as I recently interviewed DARPA and one of the initiatives at DARPA was called TIA, Total Information Analysis. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the programs behind something they talk about on the Great Hack. It's very interesting. The sale of personal information. I want to take a step further. Um, one of the ways to get personal data is to provide incentives for that. Like, like the old saying, nothing in life is free, right? Well, what that means is if I give something to you for free, that's a value. Well, I want something in return. There's, there's, there's going to be a hidden agenda. It's, there's nothing free, right? There are certain electric vehicle manufacturers that have worked out this program, I'm not going to name it, where if you sign up, you get free charging for a year or two, right? Mm. Why is that? I'm giving you free charging for a year or two if you use our charging station. Nothing in life is free. So if you go into a dealership and say, I'm really scared about getting you know, into an electric vehicle. I drive gas cars my whole life. I'm kind of considering this whole thing. The dealership can say, well, if you jump into the car today, sitting in the glove compartment will be a smart card. You sign up on that smart card, you get a free year or two. And a lot of people are like, I'll do it. Sounds great. You're giving away your five bits of data. Now, some people say, I don't care. That's fine. I do that everywhere I go. But here's the thing. So now you've got free. You've got a free pass to everywhere you go if you go to that brand of station. Here's the other tricky part. Property managers a lot of times will say, well, I don't drive an EV. Let's ask some of the EV owners here. What do you recommend for a station? And they'll say this brand or this brand or this brand. What they won't say back to the property manager is why I'm suggesting this one. Well, one of the reasons is I'm getting free charging. So there's properties around the area that will say, well, we put in four stations of this one brand because the EV owners said we want this brand in. So they're like, okay, fine, we'll do what you want, right? What better person to ask than the EV owner? But they're getting free charging. Here's where the trouble comes. You get four stations in, for example, but there's now suddenly like seven, eight, 10 EV owners. And a lot of them are getting this free charging. In fact, there's more EV owners coming that have this free charging plan. The property looks at this sign and goes, we don't have enough charging stations or something, right? How do we get these people to move? Well, I know we'll put a sign up out there that says four hour limit, right? And I think you know from driving EVs, not everybody moves their car within four hours. Mm. Secondly, if you had free charging and you couldn't find a place to park and you go, I'll park right over in front of one of those charging stations because I can plug in all day. It's free. There's no mm. penalty. I'm here to say, I know plenty of EV owners that have actually told me I signed up for that because I knew I'd get free parking at the best place available, available to park. To which I go, that so defeats the purpose, yeah. right? 
So yeah. here's what happens. The property goes, well, we got four stations. But we have more EV owners than that. Uh, what do we do? So there's a property manager here one time says, so I called the manufacturer and said, I'm hearing some of these EV owners are getting free charging. Whether they need the station or not, it doesn't matter. They just park in front of it and they block it from other people using it. And the complaints are coming. And last thing, let's come back to it. Who are the complaints coming from? The EV owners. They're business owners, they're C-level, they're VPs, they're directors, they're highly skilled. These people are a bit demanding. And they're constantly saying, fix this problem. I want to use a station, and I would pay you to use a station, but you've let four people get free charging, right? You see what I'm saying? Mm. So I've had property managers say, let's call the manufacturer of the charging station. Hey, can you do something about this? And they said, well, there's a couple of things you can do. You know, what, are, what are our options as a property manager? They said, well, a couple of things. Did you try putting signs up out there that says four hour limit? They're like, yeah, but no one moves, right? Okay. Are you getting involved in asking these people to move? And they're like, we're not gonna go ask a C-level or a VP person to come move their car. That's awkward, <laughs> right? Confrontation is mm. bad enough, but asking a, a very demanding person to move their car, bad. Bad mojo, right? Thirdly, they said, well, you can always buy more charging stations. And that's where the property management's like, oh my gosh. The first four stations were expensive. Hmm. Second four can usually be about three to four times as expensive. And here's why. When you come into a property, if your property manager, um, you look at your electric panel, the electrician says, well, you can probably put four stations in here without paying anything extra. Okay, so you buy your stations, you get them installed, there you go. Mm. It's the next round that's the killer. You try to put four more stations in, well, now you have to put a whole new panel upgrade. You have to run more power into the building, put a transformer in there, buy more stations, and you probably didn't plan on putting four here and four here. You have to put four here and run four somewhere else, right? Mm. I've got a property that one time said the first four stations, yeah, it was about $20,000 for four stations. The next four were between sixty and eighty thousand dollars. Anyway, going back to the saying, the the property managers go to the went to this company and said, "Well, how do you get your EV owners with this free charging to stop getting free charging on their property? We we never said they got free charging." And the manufacturer said, "Yeah, that's our way of promoting more EV driving. Mm. Right? We're trying to say." Get an electric vehicle, have free charging. It's on us. It's our token. It's our goodwill to the world. What it's proven out to be is that now that property is in a pinch and they have to buy more stations. But here's the worst of it. I got a property that was about ready to write the check and say, fine, we'll spend another $60,000, $70,000 for this. But wait, if we put in four more stations, does that mean we've just now opened up for four more people to park for free for these stations? And then we got to do that again and then do it again. So free charging sounds like it's a wonderful thing. The problem is, and I think we've all heard this, EVRs are saying we need more charging stations. The problem is you've got free charging involved by the manufacturer of the station. It's setting the property up to be forced to do one thing and one thing only, buy more stations. And they're like, mm. we, can't, we can't afford that. So it's a, it's a pinch that's in place. What SemiConnect has allowed our customers to do is say, we're not going to tell any EV owners that they got free charging or not. You can tell me if they, if you want to do free charging, that's up to you. 
you're in control. But the moment you start charging a fee, hourly usage, you're going to do kind of two things to this equation. Number one, some of those people are going to say, well, oh, I don't need to do this. I can just charge up at home. Okay. Mm. Well, we don't need as many stations than if some of you are going to charge at home, right? The second thing is, if you're going to charge here and pay an hourly rate, then a couple things. You're going to start thinking, well, my car is nearly fully charged. I just drove 10 miles from home to here. I'm fully charged when I left home. I came here. I only used up 10 miles out of 200. Why would I park my car at 8 a.m. until 5 and pay while it's fully charged from about 9 a.m. on? Does that follow right? You don't pay hourly just to sit there and park. You already pay for parking, and then you pay more just to be plugged into a station. Those EVRs are going to start saying, oh, I'll come back in a few days when I need the station and then pay to charge it up all at once. That mm. makes sense. And one more big thing out of all of this, gas car drivers today, I think everybody will agree if they've ever driven a gas car before, we all fill up our cars all at once, about once every four days, right? You fill it up on a Monday, you come back Thursday or Friday probably, right? And fill it up again. Some people more, sometimes less, whatever, but about four days. What gas car drivers don't do is, is go to the gas station every day to fill up a quarter of a tank every day, right? Doesn't make sense. You, you fill it all up at once, once every four days. So our data is showing the behavior of EV owners is changing. When there was 100 mile range electric vehicles as predominantly being what's in the market, yeah, everybody had to plug in pretty much every day because you drive 50 miles a day, you want to make sure you can do this again every day. So you filled it, you plugged in. But the problem with that is that you also had to come move your car at like 10 a.m. in the morning or two hours after you come home to your apartment. You know, you come home at six, you have to unplug at eight. Very weird, awkward, not fun for anybody. But now 220, 250 miles of range is, changes everything. Because now every hour is about 25 miles every hour of charge. What that means is you come into work at eight in the morning on a Monday, almost empty, you can leave it there all day long for, for eight to nine hours. You'll pick up 200 plus miles. But if you drive 50 miles a day, does that mean on Tuesday you need to plug your car in again? The answer is no. You, you can go about four days before you come back and plug in and charge it all up again. And every person who drives a gas car today that goes into a dealership to get an electric vehicle for the first time, they're thinking, I fill up my gas car once every four days. I got an electric vehicle now. Why wouldn't I still fill it up once every four days? Right? Why is it that people think when I get an electric vehicle, I suddenly have to plug in every day? Who told you that? Right? It was the 100 mile range vehicle owners that were saying, yeah, you got to plug in every day. Well, there's no, there's no brand new 100 mile range vehicle owners. Those are going to go away like the flip up phone, right? Mm. Phones were here. Now it's smartphones and layering grid. So this whole thing is showing that our data is showing that a user will come in on a Monday and they won't come back until a Friday and they repeat the process. Hmm. What that means is one station can accommodate the needs of four different drivers. You got your Monday driver, you got your Tuesday driver, your Wednesday driver, Thursday driver, and then on Friday it might be driver A comes back again. But all of what I'm just saying here goes out the window when the manufacturer of the station says, oh, but we're going to give free, free charging for a year or two for those drivers. Because then what happens is that people pull in on a Monday, whether they need to charge their vehicle or not, and they disrupt that whole pattern. 
Hmm. And now it costs the property so much more money to say, we can't get people to move their car. These people that drive these expensive cars probably earn more money than I do, and I'm asking them to move their car. That's tough. But I guess I'll buy more charging stations, and then you go, but they don't move either. <laughs> so now we just spent $60,000 on a problem that hasn't solved itself. Semic Connect's whole model is, is we're trying to tell customers who buy the stations, you don't need, you don't need that many stations in many cases. You just need better ones. And you need to have the control to start charging a fee. What is the greatest adventure or experience you've had in an electric vehicle? I think the, the one I mentioned earlier where I left salesforce.com in the th- two or three months after Mark Benioff was on the front of Forbes magazine and it said, most innovative company in the world. And I left the company three months later to start working in the electric vehicle charging station industry. Four years later, all my coworkers, one of my coworkers called me up and said, yeah, there's like 30 or 40 of us that kept saying your name because we all put down $1,000 down on the Tesla Model 3 or on the wait list. And everybody was like, I guess that guy, Eric Smith, might have knew something that we didn't know. Even though they were mocking me, they were both making fun of me and feeling bad for me at the same time. Like, what are you, what, what are you doing? So that was cool. And probably on the lighter side of things, um, and this is a huge one too, but it's really sim- simple, but huge. I drove on that trip to Vancouver with our 85 mile range electric vehicle from Bellevue to Vancouver in Horseshoe Bay. We pulled into a parking lot. There's actually two stories, but pulled into a parking lot and the leaf used to say zero emissions on the side of the car. Mm-hmm. It used to say that. It was pretty cool. I heard this kid screaming, mom, mom, look, zero emissions. Zero emissions. And I was like, what the heck? And I looked over and this, this little kid, little boy was pointing at me in my car saying zero emissions. And the mom was kind of like, zero what? It was oblivious to her. But this kid was like bouncing up and down like, oh my gosh, it's a zero emission car. And I thought, if a kid who can't even drive you, and I would say he was 10 or 12, that's the future right there, right? Yeah. You take any 16-year-old kid right now and say, you're about to start driving as an adult or you know, you're getting your driver's permit. You've got two cars to choose from. Which one will it be? Why would you go gas if you hear the benefits of EVs? Right. And the only other cool one was that I was on a in Vancouver as well with Washington State license plates, and I was going across one of the bridges across Granville Island over into the downtown part. And I'm out of this light just on the other side, getting into the downtown part, heading north, and I hear this honking. There's a bus next to me, and I heard this honking, like like a polite honk. I'm like, what? And I looked over, rolled the window down, and the bus driver goes, "Hey, everybody in here wants to know is is that fully electric?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "How how far can you drive in it?" And I said, "85 miles." And he said, "Did you drive that all the way from Washington?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." And he said, "And I said." What? He goes, yeah, he goes, people on the bus here are like taking pictures of your car. And I looked and there's like five people like taking pictures of the car. And this is back in 2012. Yeah. That was some cool stuff. You know, I had more people in the first three or four years talking about electric vehicles than they do now. Like, tell me more about it. We had, yeah, so uh, I've had a bunch of negative stories too. I had one lady tell me, you know, 
so who's going to pay for your electricity? Is that is all um, made of pixie dust? And I was like, oh boy, that's a <laughs> that I I think electrics uh, electrons are pixie dust. To be honest, I mean, electrons are weird. They are weird stuff. But I had to just stay well. This place that I'm at charging my vehicle, they pay for the station, they are paying for the electricity, and I'm actually paying a dollar per hour. So I kind of don't get where you think it's just free pixie dust. I mean, she was like saying it's, you know, who's, who's paying for that? Is it like, is it pixie dust? It's just free? And I'm like, no. Nope. And then once I said that, she's like, uh-huh. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know. but it's education. We are all as humans fearful of the things we don't know. And education still needs to be done. What is, aside from what you mentioned about information collection, aside from that, what is the one thing that you fear the most about the future? And what is the one thing that you are most hopeful for? What I'm most hopeful for is that the knowledge and an adoption of EVs gets disseminated. You know, the information gets out there and it is there. And I would say this maybe fill into the biggest challenge I see is this. Let's just call it what it is. The oil industry very much does not want the EV industry to take off. The oil industry has a lot of money that they've had for decades. There's a lot of people that live off of oil, whether they love it, preach it, live it, they work for the company, they're, they're behind it. There's a lot of money and investment to say squash all this interest of EV. You look at the big Super Bowl game, I think there's three electric vehicle commercials. You know, I think there was probably 10 gas cars. That's the most I've seen in a Super Bowl is three electric vehicle commercials. But you turn on any TV, some of the manufacturers will say, here's all of our cars, and I'll talk about how fuel efficient it is. And I'm like, where's your electric vehicle? You've got one. You don't even make a mention of it. It's probably because the oil industry came in and said, yeah, um, here's some money. Don't talk about the electric vehicle. I, it's a fear. Is The biggest fear is that, uh, well, especially since other countries are also going, look, we're, we've got to, like, there's smaller countries, like in Sweden and all the other Scandinavian countries. Let's face it. I think a lot of them don't have oil, so they have to pay others. I think they're like, well, look, either we'd be an oil customer or we'd be, an alternative fuel customer. We can't keep paying these prices. This stuff over here, yeah, we can't. That's why I think some of those smaller countries are actually like leading the charge, for, you know, pun intended, sort of, of making that change. They're like, we have no choice financially. So the biggest fear is, is that the oil industry will somehow continue to persuade people and give that information that suits their needs mm. politically, environmentally, financially, you know, economically that is. And I just fear that as a, as a world that we can't be open to newer ideas when, when they're sitting there looking at us right in the face and really ask the question, well, why is it one group over here saying these things are good and one group is bad, but oh, let's just hitch our wagon to the, the people who are naysayers. It's like, well, the naysayers, usually have a reason why they're giving you that information. They don't want you to be falling in love with this new idea. I think there, there is definitely people throughout the entire world, not just the borders of the United States, that have great ideas. 
to say we're the greatest country in the world and just close our board, our view of the world is that this is, is a dangerous place. Especially if somebody in some other part of the world comes up with a better idea and the rest of the world does it, and it takes us a while to catch up. I mean, it's just that whole concept is just, to me, it's shocking and it's just fearful of, we could be doing so much better than we're doing at times. We, we do some things fantastically well, but we do other things that we're like, not as well. Yeah, the future is, is a kind of a scary place. I don't have kids, and I actually kind of purposely chose not to have kids because I, the future, I just felt it was a little too bleak. You've been listening to Pterodactyl, the official podcast of the Central Washington University Electric Vehicle Club. My name is Galen O'Connor. I'm the club president. Jacob Yorty is our vice president and head of racing. Chase Dolan is the club secretary. Benjamin Cooley, who you heard at the top of the episode, he's the club treasurer. And David Roca is our senator. Charles Pringle is the faculty advisor. And Bruce Simpson is the secretary of the faculty and staff working group on electrification. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at CWUEVC and on Twitter at CWUEVC. Our website is centralev.org and the podcast can be found at centralev.org slash podcast. Drive on, young people. Drive on.